And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Keith Law. Welcome to episode 34 of the Keith Law Show. You'll be very excited if you're a fan or were a fan of the old Baseball Today podcast. I am reunited with my former co-host, Eric Carabell. We're going to talk all manner of playoffs and job openings and Phillies because he's a miserable Phillies fan. Is there really any other kind? If you are an athletic subscriber, you can read the long piece that Megan Montemoro and I wrote last week detailing what went wrong for the Phillies over the course of Matt Klintak's tenure and actually reaching back a little bit before him as well, things that were already wrong by the time he walked in the door. If you are not a subscriber, we are running a special promotion right now that gets you a subscription for just $1 a month. You can go to theathletic.com slash K-L-A-W. That's theathletic.com slash CLAW to sign up for a $1 a month promotional offer. We are heading into the holiday season. I just want to remind you, as I will every week, basically, until we get to the holidays, I have books out. If you're looking for gifts to buy for people, my new book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves came out in hardcover earlier this year. I also have a book called Smart Baseball that came out three years ago. Please feel free to check those out. Thank you so much to all of you who have purchased them so far. I am sorry I didn't get to sign more copies for you. Maybe that will happen at some point in a post-pandemic world. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, this is extremely exciting. We're getting the band back together. My guest is Eric Carabell. Eric, did you know we used to do a podcast together? Uh, do you have that in writing somewhere? I don't really recall this. And where where was this podcast? And 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 more importantly, Keith, why do you hate my team? Why do you hate my favorite team? Well, you don't even know my favorite team is, and you hate it. You hate your own favorite team. That right now I do. Before I bet you do. We're going to talk about that. First of all, how are you? How's life? How's life at the mothership? Uh, well, I'm well. I'm safe. I'm happy. I haven't cut my hair in seven months. Um, I noticed. Yeah. I refuse. You're very like know. Harry Potter Goblet of Fire, like when all the kids had crazy long hair. Ooh, I like that. that. Was supposed to make them look like teenagers, I guess. Teenage wizards have long hair, I guess. 
Well, I mean, this is not planned. It's just I'm lazy and don't feel like going to do it. But at least you have hair to cut. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I feel good about that. I, I'll put it up in a little ponytail if you'd like. But no, I'm feeling oh. I'm I'm good. How are you? Can you do the man bun? Can you do you have enough for a man bun? After seven months, I still don't. Oh. but I'll get there. Christmas. Oh, there you go. That's good. I'm waiting. Yeah, that's I'll worth a social media post. By that point, they'll be out of style. I think they were never actually in style. Probably not. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying baseball. We actually have baseball to talk about. Who knew? Well, now that they've uh, narrowed it down to the good baseball teams, I feel a little bit better. Because I got to be honest, that was kind of rough to watch. You know, the Marlins and the Reds and Toronto. I mean, good good job, guys. You know, you made the playoffs and my favorite team didn't, which we'll get to. But these final <laughs> four teams are legit teams. You know, I mean, they've got – they can score. It's fun. They're four of the best. I don't know. Like, I haven't sat down and actually think, like, who I think are actually the best teams. And that doesn't mean a whole lot in a 60-game season. But I feel like we have some of the best, right? We definitely have the best. I would. I think I'd feel pretty good if someone wanted to make the argument that the Dodgers were not the best, I'd entertain it. But I think the Dodgers are probably the best team, which doesn't mean they're going to win. It just means I think they're the best team on paper. I think it's these are legitimate teams at least, um, and we're seeing good baseball managed well. Um, you know, Tampa Bay doesn't score, but they do everything else, and, and they're again they're managed so well. It's fun. You have you have uh, a team nobody wants to root for in the Yankees. Oh wait, I mean the Astros. <laughs> I think this is legitimate baseball. I can't wait to see how these series go because I think I can make the case for either side on both. Um, certainly, a couple of these teams have some problems with them. But it's fun, it's legitimate, and it proves to us that the regular season meant absolutely nothing. If you don't win as many games as you lose, it meant nothing in a 60-game season. But uh, at least we have something legit now. Yes, that is absolutely true. Yeah, there is a part of me that says, like, I I don't want a team with a losing record in the playoffs. And I understand that is slightly arbitrary and definitely a me problem. But still, like... We're not the NHL, right? We should probably just, you know, maybe require that you have a winning record to get into the What's your problem with the NHL, Keith? Really? Them too? Not only do you hate every team in baseball, but you hate the NHL. You got a problem with the NBA and LeBron. Do they still use the neutral zone trap over there? Oh, don't get me started about the Eagles. In in the time since we started talking, Carson Wentz has thrown two interceptions. I thought you were talking about Don Henley, but okay, sure. We can talk about the (laughs) Philadelphia Eagles too if you want. Yes, fair enough. They're they're frustrating to say the least. I'll grant you that. You said you mentioned that the Rays don't score. Scoring is highly overrated at this point. Actually, putting the ball in play appears to be highly overrated at this point. Um, what is your take? And I know you're friends with Joe Sheehan. I assume you get his newsletter. I get his newsletter. He's been on the podcast. He's talked a lot about this sort of new. This this is the new normal in baseball and how. It's great baseball in the sense of these are great players doing great things, but aesthetically, it's maybe not the most pleasing form of baseball. And I'm nobody's purist. I don't think I'm anybody's purist, but I sort of agree. Even watching the last two games, we had the Rays-Astros game the night before we recorded this and the final game of the Rays-Yankees series. There was a part of me was just like, can we just put a couple more, ball, couple more balls in play? I'm not even asking for a double. Just some balls hit into play, especially late in the game. We're, we just don't get much of that anymore. Well, when a manager bats Manuel Margot, who doesn't hit right-handed pitching, fifth in the lineup against Garrett Cole, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> and I, I I watch these series, and now I'm able to read a book while I'm watching baseball at the same time because so little is happening. I know you can read a book while you're asleep or in the shower, but 
I, I think that baseball is not as fun maybe as it used to be because nothing's really happening half the time. I mean, Tampa Bay's striking out a ton, and it still doesn't matter. The manager can bat Margot fifth. It still doesn't matter. As long as somebody hits a home run or two home runs to one home run, you can win two to one, like game one of the Tampa Bay series. So, no, it's not aesthetically pleasing in the least, but you have to be a baseball fan to love it. So I think you still love it. I still love it. Um, it's just, it's not, they have to make some kind of a change to make it more fun to watch. And I don't think, I don't, I don't see how you can do that if everybody's throwing 98 miles per hour, unless you move, you know, the mound back or something like that that's never been done before. I, I don't know how you make it more fun because this is not what we grew up with at all. Yeah, that's, and I, by the way, I did not read a book during last night's game. I wrote postcards for our local state senate candidate because we're trying to flip this district red to blue but that's another story uh i wonder how much of this is a function of this is not what you and i grew up with we're very close in age we remember 1980s baseball which was very much the other direction where it was balls hit into play all the time and outside of the rabbit year we didn't have the high home run totals and do i think that that's a better style of baseball because that's what i grew up with because my first major exposure to the sport was that style of baseball or is there a better objective argument that just putting the ball in play more and creating more action on the field, even if it is defenses turning balls hit into play into outs, is more interesting than a parade of strikeouts and particularly swings and misses at 98 that's just like two inches above the zone but has a big spin rate and therefore hitters can't hit it? I, I don't know. I know that it's not my personal taste, and I'm not saying that to sort of run down baseball necessarily. And like you, I'm still watching. I'm still interested. I'm still glad that we have baseball and I'm glad that we've got four of the best teams still playing but I do think I wonder if my feelings on it are again a bit of a function of hey we grew up when we grew up with Ricky Henderson and Tim Rain stealing 100 bases in a year and and Vince Coleman for that matter and I, I do miss that I miss that style of baseball I miss the anticipation of this guy's on first you know he's going whereas now the only guys who might do that are like Billy Hamilton and Terrence Gore and that's not they shouldn't be in the postseason they shouldn't be in baseball at all. I, I frankly, I mean, we grew up with Larry Bowe and Chris Spire batting second, and it was okay if they had a 280 <laughs> on base percentage. That doesn't work anymore. Um, I want to no. see some doubles and triples. I don't miss I that wanna, part. I don't miss that part either. It's a combination. The athletes have never been better. There weren't athletes no. in the 70s and 80s. Look at look at old baseball. It's, it's crazy. What we, you know, Bob Hamlin was not an athlete, but um, I think is. There's got to be a better way to score a run than just a home run, and that's just not good enough. So, you know, at least we're seeing, like, pockets of offense. Houston scored offense against Oakland, and we didn't expect them to. That was fun. Atlanta's offense, you know, they didn't have to sign Marcel Azuna, but they did, and they were like, okay, let's just score as many runs as we can and figure out who's going to pitch later. And then they lost all their rotation. (laughs) They're going to score runs against the Dodgers. I don't know if they're going to prevent runs. But which bullpen would you rather have? It's very interesting, these two series, how they match up. You know, I, I think it's, yes, the run-scoring environment is not quite what we want, but I didn't want what we had in 2019 either because that, that was too many home runs. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to see that either. I, I like the days where if you hit 40, you might lead the league. Not if you hit 40, you might be 12th in the league. That's a little bit better. So let's talk. We've talked a little bit here about the American League series, obviously, because the last two games have both been on the American League side. What, and I know you sort of agree with me that your postseason series are pretty close to a toss-up. It does seem to me like if you were trying, I haven't looked at the betting lines, probably the Dodgers are pretty strong favorites at this point. 
what sort of chance, what sort of odds, you know, 55, 45, more or less, do you give, you put on that series? Because that seems like more of a mismatch is the wrong word. There's more differential between those two teams, just because I think the Dodgers are so much better. I think the Dodgers are so much better because they have starting pitching. And I think if that starting pitching pitches the way they can, then it's a lopsided series. I can't wait to see what Atlanta does in games three and four. I don't know who's going to start, and I'm pretty sure Brian Snitker doesn't either. But Walker Bueller going four innings, five innings a time is not as an advantage the way the Dodgers want it because the Dodgers' minimum relief is kind of ordinary, just like Atlanta's, just like everybody's except Tampa Bay's. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> to me, if Bueller is not pitching deep into games, not being efficient, then, then Ian Anderson is almost as good. Because Ian Anderson can go five innings and allow two hits and one run. So I think the Dodgers and Rays are favorites. I would say that. But it would surprise me if either one of them lost somehow because all these are going to be 3-2 games. Absolutely not. And the Dodgers' bullpen problem, it's really, really more of a manager bullpen problem. They've got arms. The question is, is he going to use the right arms for the right outs? If you're going into that series, Dave Roberts, assuming that Kenley Jansen is your safe ninth inning guy, that's the wrong way to approach it. You have to approach it like maybe Bruce Star Greaterall is a better option in that ninth inning than a guy who has one pitch and he can't get it over all the time. So I think it's going to be very interesting. It's going to take, I think, a ninth inning blown save or two on either side because Melanson is not special to decide that series. I think it's going to be a close series and the ninth inning decides it. So Atlanta has announced Max Fried will be the game one starter. It's obvious to me. He was one of the five best pitchers in the National League this year. Ian Anderson's going to start the second game, and I'm fine with that, despite the fact that he's inexperienced. I think he's their next best option. They've said Kyle Wright is going to start game three for them. I've always been a pretty big Kyle Wright fan, but I don't think that that's translated. His stuff has translated that well so far to the big leagues, and there's a couple of different things, a couple of different directions they could go with him developing him for the future. But right now, it's about getting outs and trying to get a reasonable amount of innings from him because you don't have a game four star. It's not really clear to me at all who might be the game four starter. And I don't know if they do some kind of bullpen game. Would they really let Josh Tomlin start an LCS game or Waskari Noah? Neither of those guys was good enough. Bryce Wilson, another guy I'm a fan of. None of those guys is really good enough to be starting an NLCS game for me. So I, I, you know, what's your confidence level in Kyle Wright delivering them? Let's say, four quality innings. I can't believe that's where the bar is, but that's where it is at this point. Because I would say, I would probably bet the under at this point. I say that as somebody who's long been a Kyle Wright fan, just because he's not missing bats and he's not locating in the big leagues the way that I would have expected him to when I valued him as a prospect. I think one bad inning in the first three innings is all it takes to get him out of the game. And then you got Josh Tomlin in the game. It's probably it's the most likely scenario there. But, you know, we've learned nothing about Atlanta in the past two weeks. They faced two bad offenses or one that was very heavily dependent on home runs that didn't hit home runs in the Reds. What have we learned? They haven't even had to go to their fourth starter. They haven't even had to use their bullpen in the proper way for a close game. These weren't even close games, most of them. So I don't think we've learned anything about them. And we'd feel differently if they were pushed in one of those series. You're right about Kyler Wright. And maybe even Ian Anderson to some degree. I mean, the Dodgers scout well. I expect that they're going to hit him. And they're going to hit Freed, who looked terrible in and, and one of his games. Was that the Marlins series where he only went three innings or four innings? So I don't have, I don't have confidence. About, uh, the Dodgers should hit the lefty. That's one thing. And they're patient enough to make him throw strikes. 
So I think Freed in some ways is a little bit like Bueller. I wouldn't even guarantee that either one of them make it five innings. That series is going to be about the offenses and who scores the last runs, I think, to some degree, because Atlanta's offense can match the Dodgers. Can any other team do that? So they're going to score their runs. Um, and they're going to hit Kershaw a little bit too, who gave up the mm-hmm. what the back-to-back homers against the Padres in his last inning there. So yep. we're talking like that series is eight, six games. Whereas the Tampa Bay series, because of their wonderful bullpen, are like three to two games and two to one games. And, you know, you say a bullpen game, these teams are going to have 14 relievers or 14 pitchers and 11 <laughs> of them are relief pitchers. So a bullpen game is not what a bullpen game used to be. You can you can do whatever you want in a bullpen game because you've right. got literally 10, 11 relief pitchers. It's a joke. I could see Freed. And I agree with you. He did not look great in that one game. I think you're right. I think it was against the Marlins. I could see him changing his pitch mix too because because he really, of all their starters too, he's the guy with the best combination one of three or more pitches to get lefties and righties out. And I could see because the Dodgers do have a couple of lefties who are pretty vulnerable to left-handed pitching. He just goes very, very breaking ball heavy against them, and he goes very breaking ball and change up heavy against right-handers, just trying to work away from the fastball more than he usually does because I don't know what else you do against that Dodgers lineup. And if Freed doesn't have his best stuff because, whatever, maybe he's fatigued from the season, that's a whole different story. But I could see that being the approach. Whereas with Anderson, and I like Anderson a lot. Again, I'm not running any of these guys down, but it's the playoffs, and you're facing the best possible competition. You know, Anderson's really... It's been, that changeup has been ridiculously effective, certainly far better than I ever said it was in any of my scouting reports or capsules on him over the years. It's been ridiculous. But I also wonder, can you turn over a really good lineup like the Dodgers with guys on both sides of the plate where you're leaning that heavily on one pitch? Because I think that pitch is what makes him capable of getting more swings and misses on his other pitches because everyone is watching for that changeup. And and I don't know, this might be the lineup that's actually, that's good enough, or now there's enough video and teams have seen him a little bit more that they're prepared to make that adjustment. And then at that point, we were sort of outlining scenarios where this goes horribly wrong for Atlanta. It's not to say we, the Dodgers will win, but I think it's easier to concoct these scenarios where the Dodgers win because you can see the vulnerability in Atlanta's rotation and that they end up leaning too much on the bullpen, and that's where the series goes awry. More can go wrong for Atlanta than it can for the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers match up with any team's pitching, and I don't think I don't even think Atlanta needs Freed to go more than five innings. That's all they really want out of him because they have all these righties. They can put Darren O'Day in against a righty. They have Minter and Matzik who pitched well against lefties. Bellinger's going to be seeing a ton of those guys and Seager as well. So Roberts really has to make sure he splits his lefties in this series because Atlanta can throw two, three with Grant Dayton. Atlanta really has good lefties that can neutralize. Bellinger's probably not. Bellinger didn't do anything in the playoffs the last couple of years. So I don't really expect that he's the difference maker here. Um, I really think it's going to be who scores more runs. I mean, obviously that's that's easy. But mm-hmm. you're going to have to score a lot of runs is what I'm saying. Because when someone is winning 6-2 to two in the fourth inning, that's not going to be enough. You've got to keep piling on on these runs, you know. Um, and, and the Dodgers have more depth offensively as well. Uh, you know, Atlanta really can't afford one of its prime hitters like Freeman or Azuna to struggle. But I think if Seager and, and Bellinger do, Atlanta can still overcome it. Hernandez will be facing Max Fried. I assume he'll be in the starting lineup for the games against the lefties. And Kike Hernandez will have key at-bats late. Will, will Dave Roberts pinch hit? For He won't pinch hit for Bellinger, obviously. 
But Hernandez has to be out there at some point, so he's going to be a key as well. It's fascinating to me that the juxtaposition of these two series are so different. I mean, Tampa Bay, with all these lockdown right-handers throwing 98, no other team's got that. That's why I think Tampa Bay is going to beat the Dodgers in the World Series. I don't know if you want a you know a prediction from me, but no. I think Tampa Bay, the way they're playing right now, they don't even need to score that many runs. It's just they have great starting pitching, and third time through the order, they can flip over to this endless bullpen of guys named Ryan Thompson, who you know, or whatever, and, and it works. <laughs> it just it works. There's definitely a game where it's like name as many of the raised relievers as you can, and and then you could right, and then you could, but you the you play it with someone else who has to decide which of the ones you actually made up. You know, Ryan Thompson, John Curtis. David Smith, like who? Wait, which one of those is actually? I don't know. Like, I, there's a bunch of these where I've had to look up. Wait, where did he come from? Where I don't remember that guy. And it's like, nope, never saw him. Maybe saw him once in the fall league. Saw him through one inning. Remember the Arizona fall league? That used to be fun. That was fun. That, that was, was fun. a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever see that again either. All right, so let's talk some off-field stuff. First of all, your favorite team, team you love to hate, oh. your Philadelphia Phillies. Oh my God, that bullpen! Can you imagine? Yes. No, I can't, actually. Nope. It never got better. And it is essentially two years in a row of bad bullpen. Yeah, but this was like historic, yes. like record-setting. Yes, ben. it was. I mean, yep. and, you know, Klintak lost his – well, he didn't lose his job. He lost the position of his job because <laughs> yeah. he's still employed by the team because they can't decide what to do. But, I mean, he actually made a couple decent moves. I mean, David Phelps should have been good. And mm-hmm. and Workman was really good last year. It's just they don't recognize that you need to throw 98, and they didn't get anybody that could do that, and they didn't develop anybody that could do that either. So, yeah, it was a frustrating season. Hard to miss the playoffs this year with the talent that the Phillies had, with two aces right. and that offense, which scored a lot of runs. It was top three in the National League, and they still – found a way to lose out to the Marlins. It's the ultimate embarrassment. And when JT Real Muto signs with the Mets, it's going to get even worse for Phillies fans. But at least we got Bryce Harper until, you know, 2050. Forever. Yes. So what would you like to see them do in terms of, you know, I mean, if you have a name that you want for GM, fine. But I was thinking more philosophically. Do you want to see them rebuild do you want to see them try to go more all in since they have harper and wheeler and they I mean, obviously peak nola i mean there's plenty there's there's the core of a championship team there what kinds of things would you like to see them do or what sort of philosophy do you want to see from whoever whoever takes over and by the way that may not be for another year there's a rumor that they're going to yeah, wait until mcphail's done which i find a little that's peculiar i'll leave it at that well, they're going to keep Ned Rice as the interim GM. I, I fully believe they're not going to hire another general manager, and they're going to wait a year, and then they're going to hire both GM and president. And, and maybe they should because, uh, you know, what you got to do to some degree is what Tampa Bay does with their bullpen. They, the Phillies don't even have, like, guys they can build around in the bullpen. I mean, Hector no. Neris, is he really a bull? You know, he's not that type of, of pitcher. So you need to get a stable of 20 guys into next spring training who throw hard and see who can command it. And see who breaks out and emerges. Because the Phillies actually had John Curtis in their system a year ago. He was a triple A. He lasted a week. They cut him. And the Rays were like, oh, this is an arm. The Phillies don't spot arms. I would like them to try to win. Because rebuilding with Harper and what you got, I think, is is silly. Um, Try to keep real Muto. I think offensively they would be fine that way. You don't need a center fielder. Bat him eighth or ninth. Um, There'll be a DH. You can bat him ninth. 
I think their their rotation would be good enough to compete. Certainly Atlanta was able to do this. The Phillies can do it with Nola Wheeler, Spencer Howard, and, and Eflin's fine. But mm-hmm. you just you gotta find four or five right-handed pitchers who just throw hard, miss bats, and see who pans out. And they just didn't even try to do that last year. I would do that first. Don't don't spend money and sign Blake Trinan for three years and forty five million. That's not gonna work out. And that's what they're probably going to do. And you're laughing, and I'm laughing, but I'm crying too. And that's probably what they're going to do. I'll still watch no matter how many games they blow and lose, but I wish they would at least try a different way because the way they used in the last five years didn't – and they have to draft better because they're one of the worst drafting teams in the last five years. I don't even think that's inarguable. Yeah, it's really going back into me. So May and Montemoreau and I wrote a long piece last week. I saw Uh, that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, I read. I yeah, read, you read. Uh, your work. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. And one of the things, you know, she focused much more on the major league piece. The, the article was more her and me contributing on the draft development side. But one of the things I tried to hammer is that they didn't draft that well under Clintac. They also didn't draft well before him. And so what he inherited was less than it should have been because the year before he got there, they took Cornelius Randolph. 10th in the draft. They took a high school position player without an actual position. 10th in the draft. I mean, that nothing against Cornelius Randolph, but that's stupid. That is actually the, the worst. The, it's one of the worst, maybe the worst thing you could do with a first-round pick to take a essentially positionless player where you're like standing up on the table, pushing all of your chips in and saying he's going to hit. Well, guess what? Cornelius Randolph didn't hit. And now he's a positionless guy with no bat. And that's not a particularly valuable sort of player. And so Klintak walked in and the cupboard was more bare than it otherwise should have been. And I actually argued that they're in better shape now than they were when he took over for a lot of reasons. There is some more talent in the system. Not enough. And I agree they did not do enough in terms of power arms. They also misused some guys. Francisco Morales probably should have just gone to the bullpen and just try to shoot him up through the system. But they were very hell-bent on trying to make him a starter when he could barely hit the broadside of a barn. But they're better with talent. And frankly, I think the fact that they now have an analytics or R&D department that they did not have when Clintac took over, this is a better job. They'll... I don't think they had a hard time last time finding the candidate they wanted, but I think there'll be even more active interest from other candidates because Clintech laid a bunch of groundwork, and now you're walking in and it's not kind of a hot mess. There's some stuff in place you can work with. Well, tell me more stories about Corny Randolph so I can have like a seizure and fall down or something. I, I, I really want me to tell you about that. Well, he, the tell time me. I saw him fall down trying to field a routine fly ball to left. He has a nice body too. I'll say this. It's a good job because of Harper and some of the pitching. And I think they wait a year and maybe try to pry Theo or somebody else to be the GM and run everything. And I'd be okay with that. Take a year, try to find some arms, try to find a couple other position players. Rehabilitate Kingery, who's a good player, who was awful, arguably one of the worst players in baseball in this 60-game joke of an irregular season. Um, It's not a bad job. Uh, And Girardi's a a good enough manager to manage it properly. Um, Could they make the playoffs in the full season next year if there's a full season? Sure, they could find a way to 90 wins just with, you know, the offense and three good starting pitchers. Um, I think the the owner of the team, John Middleton, said it best. They have an evaluation problem. They evaluate young talent poorly, and they've been doing it for 100 years, not just since <laughs> we've been alive, but since everybody's been alive. And they have to change that. And hopefully the analytics department, maybe they will listen to them. I mean, it's not the Moniac pick. It was the second round pick. What was his name? Cody? Um, it wasn't, you know. It's a Kevin Gowdy, Gowdy in the second yes. round. 
who blew out and has couldn't throw strikes when he came back. Uh, and then with the next pick, gave a million dollars to a guy named Cole Stabby, a high school right. kid out of Nebraska who's never hit a lick. Like you just gotta either you go all in on the first pick and then you know hopefully you nail it. Their argument was that guy didn't exist that year. There was no Bryce Harper. There wasn't a Garrett Cole or anybody even close to that in that draft class. So they decided to spread the money out. But instead, they ended up basically whiffing on all three of those picks for the same amount of money. So they spent all the money, and they're going to get probably very close to nothing out of that. Moniak will have a career as a fourth outfielder, maybe. But right, that's, as will yeah. Hazley and, and Roman Quinn for the 30 games he's healthy. I, I think they a lot of a lot of organizations. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be brutally honest. I think that's I should, why I mean, you want to be here. The evidence supports your contentions on. I unfortunately Roman it does inability to stay healthy. Yes, it's not just them. It's other teams. The Angels. It's it's teams that can't buy their way out of poorly developing players by just signing free agents. And the Brewers at some point, I'm sorry to say, to some Brewers fans, but you just can't buy free agents and spend more money and then fix everything. It doesn't work that way. You have to develop properly. And it's not just Tampa Bay that does it. There are other good organizations that do it. And maybe you have a window like the Cubs did, and that window's over. And maybe the Phillies had their window, and it's over as well. But you've got to develop from within, especially if the – and I use the quote marks here. There's no salary cap, but there is – Nobody wants to go like the Phillies wouldn't spend another dime to hit that mark, you know, that limit last season. So you've got to be better and smarter with your money because you're not the Yankees and Dodgers and you can buy your way out of it with the TV contract. So we spent a lot of time on the Phillies. I think they're a little bit better than 500 team. They could find their way into the playoffs and then in a playoff series do damage because they're starting pitching. But they can't do it with this bullpen. And please don't sign Blake Trinan. Please. <laughs> uh, all right. Last question for you. So we've got we had a managerial opening last week with the Tigers, where Ron Gardenhire stepped down for health reasons. Earlier today, this is Monday. Rick Renteria and the White Sox parted ways. So we've already got two managerial openings. There could be more to come. And now that there's a managerial opening and a year has passed since or a season has passed uh, since the suspensions were this. handed down, yes. Um, I see a lot of White Sox fans and many Tigers fans saying hire A.J. Hinch or hire Alex Cora. I was asked in, I think, in chat last week, would I hire one or both of those guys? And I said, yes, actually. They were both great managers, and they both served their penalties for Major League to Major League Baseball. They're eligible to be hired again. If they weren't good at their jobs, I would say nope. But they are actually, I think, both very good at their jobs. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. And I think Hinch to the White Sox in particular would make a ton of sense. Frankly, I think yep. he or Hinch or Cora would be good at either of those jobs. But if I was like playing God, right, I would put Hinch there so they contend right away and say Cora, who's definitely a bit more of a developmental guy. Also, I think a good tactical manager, but send him to Detroit where they've got quite a bit of especially young pitching on the way. Like I think both of those guys should at least get strong interest. So where do you come down? Are you gonna are you just gonna scream cheaters and hang up the hang up the Zoom call at this point, or do you have a, maybe a more nuanced opinion for us? Cheaters, who's not cheating? I think it's fine for both of them to find work because their suspensions are over. A little bit of a problem with the GM in Houston, but that's a separate thing altogether. But I don't think Hinch. I don't know what he knew. I don't care what he knew. And I also don't think the White Sox didn't win their playoff series because of Renteria, just like the Red Sox didn't have a miserable season because of their one-year fill-in manager. Managing, you can only do so much in baseball. And if you if you don't have the horses, you're not going to win anyway. The White Sox had certain problems with that team. 
but it's a great organ. It's a it's a great fit right now for a manager who wants to win right away. And I bet Girardi's wondering why he couldn't have waited a year. Nah. Um, <laughs> and Detroit, you know, in two years, that could be an Astros type situation if some of the hit because we you know that Astros five years ago, you know that the pitching is going to work out. I think I don't know about Detroit's position players so much. Like, I don't think Daz Cameron is special. I, I, I'm not sure how much of the outfielders there. It's certainly not going to be Seattle's outfield. Seattle's outfield is going to be special. I think we all agree yes. with that. I agree. But I think you let them – let them. They should be managing next season. And you're going to see one or both of the teams that they get on uh, make strides. They're good managers, but you still have to have the horses. It's like Girardi. Girardi's a good manager. He couldn't win with this. Is Mattingly a better manager? He had everything kind of worked right, and they finished in second place in their division. Mattingly's a fine manager. wasn't a fine manager back then, you know, with the Dodgers, but he can be <laughs> fine. I think this we give way too much credit to managers, and we fire them when they don't do well. And it's a little bit ridiculous, but we do that in all the sports. And I don't know why we do it, but it's never going to end that way because you can't fire the players. Eric, this has been a blast. We should we we should do a podcast together so i guess that's probably not possible i don't know if that would work keith you know like we've we've talked about it for years doing a podcast but then cats start meowing and people get upset (laughs) and then more important people take over i you know what i i'm glad you have a show but you and me together it would it wouldn't be like you hate my team i do hate your team i hate i absolutely hate your team you can follow eric carabell on twitter it's his Username there is reversed is at Carabel Eric. You can find his work at ESPN.com. Eric, it was good to talk to you. Stay healthy, Keith, and don't forget to vote. I voted. I voted already. Before I go this week, I just had two little notes I wanted to add at the end. One just as a follow-up to what Eric and I were talking about. You know, I do think Rick Renteria could be a good manager in some situations, but I have to say now, after watching him a bit with the White Sox too, I don't love the way he handles his pitching staff. And I thought especially he pushed Lucas Giolito a bit too far multiple times. And Giolito is so important to the future of that franchise and to the near future of that franchise that I think using him more judiciously would have made sense. And I wonder, I don't know, I haven't asked anybody with the White Sox, but I wonder if that was at all a factor, just saying we're not on the same page in terms of how you want to manage our young pitchers, and we need somebody who's going to handle them a bit differently. The second thing I wanted to mention is baseball lost yet another Hall of Famer. It seems like we've lost more than normal, certainly far too many this year, in Joe Morgan. And of course, with Joe Morgan's passing, there was uh, most people were posting memories, very respectful things on social media. There was some mention of his career as a broadcaster. If you are my age, I'm 47 or younger, you may know Morgan more as a broadcaster than you do as a player. And I would say, uh, you know, of course, I was not a huge fan of his broadcasting work, but I would say this is a time for us to appreciate who Joe Morgan, the ball player, was. That's really his great contribution to the game, to the sport. Uh, and to the culture of the sport as well. A number of black players were posting memories, appreciation, times that they had spoken to Joe Morgan, who took time out to talk to them about his experiences as as a black player coming up in a very different era. Uh, And I think keeping that keeping that uh, communication going, keeping that sort of moving the chains down from generation to generation as baseball continues to try to struggle to maintain or increase diversity on the field and frankly in front offices too 
uh, when we lose a Joe Morgan or we lose a Bob Gibson, we're losing even something more than just losing a great player who was responsible for great on-field moments. And and as somebody who probably spent a lot of time picking on Joe Morgan's work in the booth, I think it's important at this point, especially to appreciate his legacy as a player and for a lifetime of contributions to the sport. And finally, I uh, mentioned at the end of my interview with Eric, I did vote already. We have voting by mail and we have uh, other early voting options here in Delaware this year. If you have that available to you, I encourage you to do so. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Wear your masks. Stay safe.